We're turning this morning to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews is a wonderful book written, I believe, by the Apostle Paul. He wrote 14 books out of the 27 in the New Testament. And um, I would encourage you to, to read the book if you can at one sitting, and it will help you to get your eyes, I believe, on Christ. Hebrews chapter 12, and we're going to read verses 1 through to 5. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your mind. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Amen. We'll end the reading there at verse 5. And we pray the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing these words that we've read together. Now, my text this morning is taken from Hebrews chapter 12, the verse 2. It reads as follows, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And my theme, as announced, is entitled... God's encouragement for the weary Christian. So if you're a weary Christian this morning, listening on, then we encourage you to fix your mind on God's encouragement for you. The Apostle Paul is writing this letter to Hebrew Christians who were genuinely saved by the grace of God. They had a testimony to the saving and keeping power of Christ. They were a people whose lives were radically and wonderfully changed and transformed by the grace of God. So here's a people enjoying all the blessings and the benefits of trusting in Christ alone for salvation. Yet these same people, these genuinely saved Christians, were struggling spiritually. They were showing signs of defeat. They were discouraged in their Christian life. Many were weary. Some were ready to quit, turn their back on Christ, turn back from continually following on with Christ. 
Sadly, they're facing a great time of persecution, so much so that their lives personally are affected, their homes are affected, their families are being affected. It's a godless world they're living in, and that godly world is against them. Their fellow countrymen were against them. Unconverted Jews were condemning them, left, right, and center. They were criticizing them. They were cruelly treating them. These Jews were arguing, well, where's your temple services? Where are your lavish-dressed priests? Where is your sacrifice? Where's your ritual, your ceremonies, your holy days? You've got none of these things. All you have is, is nothing but this one that you call Jesus Christ. And these attacks grew in intensity, so much so that God's people became full of doubt. The doubt gave way to great discouragement. That discouragement gave way to drifting, so much so that they were in danger of quitting. Many had had enough. Many were so weary that they felt they could not continue on. And I want to tell you this morning, that feeling was real in the first century. It was growing in their hearts and minds. And that same feeling is alive and well in the hearts and minds of many of God's people in the 21st century. Because many are wanting, at least, thinking about, struggling with, going on with Christ. Maybe you're listening to me now, and you're a true, genuine believer, and you're facing many big discouragements in your life. Maybe you're struggling in an ungodly world, a world that by and large rejects Christ and the gospel. You think of the impact of apostate Protestantism, where there's more emphasis on flower festivals and quiz nights and preaching the doctrine of the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. You think of the impact of the false cults, the impact of false religion. You mention the name uh, of Christ and a swear word. It's not a problem, but you mention the name of uh, Muhammad or Buddha uh, in what many perceive to be an irreverent way. Well, well you're going to be condemned and, 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 and criticized. Maybe you're living with your own personal circumstances. You feel cold in a spiritual sense. You, you feel, I'm out of sorts with the Lord. And you're questioning God's providences in your life. And you're saying, why is this happening to me? Maybe you're experiencing disappointment with other believers. They don't meet your expectation. Maybe you've been sinned against by them. Maybe you're struggling this morning with your own personal sins. You're thinking to yourself, what's the point? Why bother being a Christian? You see, weariness in heart and mind is real. Feeling tired in a spiritual sense is real. And when you feel this way, then the big temptation is to quit. To, to quit the Christian life. To, to quit following Christ. To, to, to quit the ministry altogether that, that God has given you. Remember the Apostle Paul, as I've said is writing to encourage such weary believers. And what does he do in this whole letter? He powerfully and personally and pointedly presents Christ to them. He reminds them, if they have Jesus Christ in the fullness of his person and work, that they don't need anything else. And if they have Christ, they have everything they need for this life and the next life. With Christ, they have everything 
Without Christ, they have nothing. So by presenting Christ to them, he is urging them to continue on. He uses an illustration from the Greek Olympic Games. He thinks of the Christian life as a race. And those who are weary and despairing and feeling in their hearts and minds they're not going to reach the end, they're not going to cross the finish line, uh, which is a, a real fear. Uh, struggling to make headway, full of discouragements and doubts, despair and difficulties, feeling overwhelmed. That sign of weariness is there. It's on their face. They, they, you, you could think about it on the legs of a runner. He's not going to make it. He, he's wobbling. He's all over the place. So here's the Apostle Paul using this illustration and is exhorting the child of God to stay on the course, to keep on running. He, he tells them here, put off the, the every weight of every besetting sin. And how were they to run this race? And here's the answer. In verse 2, by looking to Christ, he's saying to them in the light of the great cloud of witnesses, in the light of the faithful men of God in the Old Testament, men and women who lived by faith, who stood in the great promises, who were victorious in the face of deep troubles and trials, men and women who knew God and proved God in their personal lives and circumstances, and as they have run the race of faith to the end, and are watching us run the race of faith and ran on despite the conflict, despite the challenges, despite the hardness of the course. He's saying to them, you can do the same. And here's how to do it, by looking to Jesus Christ in faith. And that's the context of Hebrews 12 and verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured this cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, when I thought of this text a couple of weeks ago, I thought of the words, the argument that is exhortive. You see, look at chapter 12, verse 1. It starts with the word wherefore. Chapter 12 follows on from chapter 11. Chapter 11, he's dealt with the great heroes of the faith. As I've said, men and women of the Old Testament who lived and died by faith and received the, the wonderful blessing of eternal life. Men and women who ran the Christian life successfully. They ran with endurance. They were not sidelined. They were not distracted. They stayed in course. They kept going and they focused on the Lord. They, they had faith in God. They kept looking to Christ. They, they, they kept their eyes in him. And that's the key, of course, to increasing the whole principle of faith. So here's the word of exhortation to these Christians. As others have run the race of faith, and they have been successful and finished it well. So you too can do the same. I want you to notice here in this argument that is exhortive. There's a word about salvation. Think about the words, the race. You see, every race has a starting point. And where does the Christian race start? It starts with Christ. It starts with looking to him as Lord and Savior. It starts with recognizing your sin and owning it and repenting of it and repudiating it. 
and confessing that sin to the Lord and receiving Christ. See, Acts 16.31 says, remember, in response to a question, what must I do to be saved? The Apostle Paul says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. You see, the Christian life or the Christian race of faith starts with faith in Christ as Lord and Savior. So let me press it home this morning and ask this question. Is Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? Are you a true believer? Are you trusting in Christ? See, every runner in the race must start at the same place. If they don't all start in the same place, those that have come in from a a different place, rather than the starting point, are going to be disqualified. And the Christian life starts with trusting in Christ. Christian life's a race. So there's a word here about salvation, the race. There's a word here about separation. Notice what he says here, let us lay aside every weight. You think of an athlete and he's going to run the race. Well, he he strips off to run all extra weight. He doesn't run with his coat on or his boots or a big heavy um, woolen jumper. These things are going to slow him down. These things are going to ensnare him. So he makes a decision that he's not going to permit anything to hinder him. Nothing's going to slow him down. Nothing's going to ensnare him. And how do we run the Christian life, this race of faith? Well, we will run, let nothing hindering us. We we don't fill our heart and mind with the things of the world, the things of time and sense. Anything that's going to draw us away from Christ is going to hinder us. We, We set it to the one side. See, these things could rob us of seeing Christ, of sensing him. And they're going to have an impact on our personal um, holiness and our walk with God. So there's a word here about separation. There's a word here about sanctification. Notice these words, and the sin which does so easily beset us. He doesn't identify the sin that does so easily beset us. His mind may have been on a particular sin, a besetting sin. But let me say that every sin is a besetting sin. Every sin besets us. So sin must be set to the one side. Sin must be put away. And and that's our part, our responsibility in the personal process of sanctification. The true Christian doesn't knowingly love and hold on to his sin. He's meant to loathe his sin. He's meant to hate his sin, to turn from it. All his sins, sins of thought, sins of word, sins of deed, whether it's pride or jealousy or envy or discord or whatever, he doesn't knowingly hold on to sin. There's a word here about steadfastness. Notice the words in verse 1, and let us run with patience. The word patience means endurance or perseverance. You see, he's urging them to go on. Don't be distracted. Don't be sidelined. Stay on course. As I've said, the Christian life's a race. It starts at conversion, but it doesn't end there. It stretches from conversion to our glorification in heaven. And you know what? It demands discipline. It demands effort. It it involves a cost in our part. We're to run with patience. In other words, we're to endure to the end. We're we're not to have retreat. We're not to have regrets. 
We're not to have any reserves. Our whole heart and mind is involved. We're to continue in the things we have learned. We're, we're to say, I am the Lord's. I'm bought with a price. And, and I'm going to continue in the apostles' doctrine, apostles' fellowship. I'm going to continue in breaking of bread. I'm going to continue in prayer. See, if there's anything that the church of Jesus Christ needs in the 21st century, it's stickability. It's, it's steadfastness. It's a, it's a mindset that I'm going to continue with Christ and the Christian life. It's also a word about sovereignty. If you look at the um, text very carefully, it says, the race that is set before us. You see, the wonderful thing about the Christian life is God has chosen the course. And the journey of life, it can be long or short. There can be days of gladness and days of gloom. There'll be mountaintop experiences and there'll be valley experiences. There'll be uphill times and there'll be downhill times. And, and there'll, be, there'll, there'll be days that, that, that um, we're, we're really weary and, uh, and tired. But these days are all set by the Lord. He is sovereign. He acts supremely in making these appointments for us. Now here's a question. If this is a word about salvation and separation and sanctification and steadfastness and sovereignty, how then do I run this race? You see, in light of the word about salvation and separation and sanctification and steadfastness and sovereignty, the question then was asked, how do I run this race? How do I go on with the Lord despite being weary, despite having these ups and down days, despite being ready to quit? Here's the key thing. There's a word about the Savior. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. In other words, it's all about a proper and correct perspective of who Christ is. It's all about focusing on him, our heart and minds fixed in him. Not only trusting him, but relying on him, depending on him, drawing from him. And that's the only way to run the course. You see, it starts with Christ, it continues with Christ, and it's only completed with Christ. And that's the argument that is exhortive here. I get asked the question, how well are you running the Christian life as a believer? Maybe you're here this morning and you say, well, my heart's really cold and I'm a backslidden state. I'm weary, I'm discouraged as a child of God. Not only do children of God get weary, but even ministers at times get weary, elders get weary. Maybe at times we feel we're not making much progress, we're, we're not going on, but I want to ask this question, and I say this to myself, and to everyone that's a weary, discouraged Christian this morning, whether a child of God, a minister, an elder, a deacon, it doesn't matter, where are your eyes? You see, Paul was saying to them, remember, your eyes are often on saints. These people were thinking of those that had gone on before, this great cloud of witnesses, those that had finished the race that was set before them. 
The word wherefore means in light of, in light of these great cloud of witnesses, this mass of spectators who have first-hand experience of the race. They have run. They've run the race of faith. They, they, they've run in very difficult days. They've finished their course. And in light of these saints, remember, you can run too. But, but get your eyes not only on them and that they were successful, but get your eyes on the Savior. You see, this is a wonderful exhortive argument here of the Apostles Paul's. And the argument is simple. And here's the heart of the exhortation. Run looking to Christ, who brings the word of salvation, the word of separation, the word of sanctification, the word of steadfastness, the, 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 the word about stickability, the word about sovereignty. It's really a word about the Savior. Remember, he was successful too in all that he did. We read here, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. We're going to remember his great exchange from earth to glory, from glory to earth. We're, we're, we're going to remember his great endurance. He endured the cross and all that that means. We're going to remember his great exaltation. Where is he now? He's not in the tree. He's not in the tomb. He's on the right hand of God. He's, he's our forerunner. He, he, he has gone before us. And he has run successfully. And, and we're to look to him. Because he's the captain of our salvation. So that's really the first point. The argument that is exhortive. I want you to think secondly and very quickly. The appeal that is extensive. See, who do we look to in the Christian life? Well, we look to Christ. Well, that's plain from the text, looking on to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. You know who Jesus is, the only begotten Son of God, Son of Man, um, Son of Mary. But what way do you look to him? If he is the one that we look to, then... What way do we look to him? Let me suggest this morning that the words looking unto Jesus, first of all, mean a looking away from self. If we're to fix our eyes on nothing but Christ, then we're not to fix our eyes on anything else. And if we're to fix our eyes on Christ, that means we'll look away from everything else. And the first thing we'll look away from is self. Self-reliance, self-wisdom, strength, confidence. You see, normally we are self-centered. We, we think to ourselves, when well, I can do this, my strength, my power, my wisdom, my ability. Let's remember that your feelings can change and so do mine. We have good days and we have bad days. One day you feel maybe close to the Lord. You've had a good prayer time and you're, you're in fellowship with him. And um, you're in the mountaintop with God. And that's great and wonderful and you're feeling blessed and strength and you feel you're like Samson. But there's other days you maybe feel the Lord is distant. You've lost a sense of his presence. You've lost a sense of peace and contentment. But remember, your relationship with the Lord doesn't depend on how you feel. It depends on Christ. So you're to look away from yourself with all its feelings. And you're to look to Christ. You're to look away from your sins. You see, we can see your sin and we can sense it. 
But don't focus on those sins in your life. Yes, own the sins. Confess them to God. Yes, keep short accounts with God. But don't focus on your failures, your words, your thoughts, your deeds. I'm not suggesting that we glibly overlook our sins or focus on our failures. I'm not saying that our sins don't matter, they do, because sin has consequences. And sin pays wages, young people remember. But to look to Christ, we've got to look away from our sins, because he's the saviour of sinners. Could I suggest also that we're to look away from signs? You see, people are looking for signs in their life, signs that they're spiritual, signs that they're holy, signs that they have faith, signs that they have grace, signs that they have the fruit of the Spirit, signs they have this gift and that gift, signs of growth. And so often we can focus on the signs and we're looking for them rather than fixing our eyes on Christ. We're to look away also from the saints. Now, so often we compare ourselves with other people. Well, I'm better than him. I'm better than her, or I'm worse than him, or worse than her. They're godly. They're humble. They have a powerful prayer life. They're kind and gentle. They're considerate. They're really helpful. And I'm not. So you feel rotten and bad about yourself. Get your eyes off men. Yes, we have much to learn from the saints. But let's not fixate our eyes on them. Because remember, the best of men are men at best. And the best of men are going to point out, disappoint you. And the best of men have their own failures and their own faults and their own struggles and their own sins. Also, look away from your situation. Don't look at life's circumstances. Don't judge your life by your circumstances. Circumstances at times can be bright and wonderful. They can be dark and difficult. In days there can be strong storm clouds of trouble. So much so that you can't see clearly. All seems to be against you. Maybe you're living in poor housing. Maybe you're struggling with little money. Maybe the loss of a job is threatening. Maybe you feel fated and discouraged and there's, there, there's woes in relationships. And you, you feel you're weak and, and there's none to help. You see, we can focus on the situation and we can have a pity party and say, poor me. Here's his appeal, looking to Jesus. What does that mean? See, see, we can use the phrase, looking to Jesus. I could tell you that this morning. Look to Christ as you run the Christian race. But what does that mean? It means you look away from self and your sins and, and any signs in your situation. And you look to Christ. As he mentions here, the author and the finisher of our faith. If we're going to increase our faith, it, it means looking to Christ. Could I suggest this morning, uh, using some thoughts of the Reverend John Wagner, preached in Ballymena quite a number of years ago, he suggested that there's a crossword look. Remember in Galatians chapter 2 and the verse 20, we read these words. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul's saying, here's how I live the Christian life. I live it by faith. In the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In other words, he had his eyes in Christ. 
But it was his eye on Christ crucified. The one who successfully finished the work that God the Father had given him to do. The forerunner who's gone on before. He endured the agonies of the cross for me. So there's a crossword look as we think of Christ. We, we always remember Christ crucified. Also here there's a contemplative look. Looking. It's more than just a glance. It's more than just a, a, a casual um, look. It's stronger than that. It means to think about. It means to meditate upon. It means if we think of the words in verse 3, for consider him, taking him to our heart and mind, filling our hearts and minds in Christ in his person and work. So often we feel we don't have time. But we must be disciplined. We must make time. So there has to be a time, switch off the TV, switch off the internet, put down the newspaper and the magazine, shut out every distraction, get yourself alone with God, and pray, Lord, help me to see Christ. Could I suggest there's a continual look? The word looking is a present participle. It means keep keeping your eyes on Christ. Here's his appeal. It's a complete look. Not content with anything else, you're looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And, and who is Christ? Well, he's God's prophet to teach and tell us the way of salvation. He's God's priest, the one who became a sacrifice for us and the one who prays for us now in heaven. He's God's king, the one who alone can subdue us to himself and subdue all our enemies in his. So, so, so we look to the whole Christ in the fullness of his person and work. Not only as son of God, son of man, son of Mary, but as God's prophet, priest and king. Could I suggest also it's a caring look. This is something I've added to the Reverend Wagner's little outline in that. You think of the support of Jesus Christ toward his people. It's limitless. It's inexhaustible. Think of what Christ has done for us in the past. How he endured the cross. And think of where he is now, not on the tree, not in the tomb, but where is he now? He's on the throne. Isn't that what the text says? And it's set down at the right hand of the throne of God. The throne is actually mentioned. And he's there in our behalf. We read there in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 24, For Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. Linking it up with Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 20 that I've mentioned, whether the forerunner is for us, think of those words, entered even Jesus, made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The forerunner for us is entered in. And he's now in the presence of God, living to support us. As mediator, friend, king, lord, saviour, shepherd, bishop of our soul. And he will not forget us. He's exalted there to support us as his people in all the outworking of our need. And that's the appeal that is extensive. Who do we look to? We look to the Lord Jesus. What way do we look? Well, we, we look away from something and we look to Christ, his cross with a contemplative, continual, complete, caring look. Could I suggest in closing this morning the assistance that is expressed? Look at these words as we finish. The author and finisher 
of our faith. See, this is what Christ does for us. He saves us. Acts 4 and verse 12. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Hebrews 7 and verse 25 tells us, Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. So here's the first thing he does for us. He saves us. How does he do that? By giving us the gift of faith. Because he's the author of our faith. And he's the finisher of our faith. True faith starts with him. Faith is the gift of God. For by grace he is saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So we could talk at times about our faith, but, but our faith in him is really a gift. It's not something natural to us. It's something that's been implanted and parted to us by the Holy Spirit in the new birth. He also assists us not only by salvation, but by supplication. He supplicates for us. Do you know this morning, if you're a weary, discouraged, despairing Christian, think of Christ in the throne and what's he doing there? He's praying for you. The high priest has entered in. He's there to present the merits of his blood. He's pleading your name and mine before his father on the merits of his blood sacrifice. Oh, that you could grasp this morning in your weariness and your struggle. Jesus Christ is praying for me. Do you know that every day, every Christian is supported by the prayers of Christ? Do you know that he's praying daily and continually? Do you know that he's praying right now? He's asking the Lord, his heavenly Father, to keep us from the evil one. He's praying that we'll run the race well. He, 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 he's praying that one day we'll be with him. He prays for us in the outworking of our need. Could I suggest this morning he, he strengthens us? Remember Philippians 4 verse 13 says, Paul, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. You see, we don't run this race in light of our own strength. We realize our fragility and our frailty. We realize that we'll not make it there on our own. The best of our efforts are hopeless. They'll come to nothing. Because the Bible says our sufficiency is of God. Oh, that we could humbly realize that this one who purchased God's salvation for us, that he will assist us not only by gifting us salvation, not only by praying for us, but by giving us his strength. Oh, that's something that we need to grasp. Could I suggest also he supplies our need? Here's another way he assists us. Philippians 4 and 19 says, But my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. He's the source of all that we need. You think of the athlete. He is running this race. But do you know the athlete has a team behind him? He's got someone who's involved with his nutrition and dietary needs. He's someone who's there as a personal trainer. He's got someone there to assist him coping with mental um, fatigue and thinking, I'm not going to make it. I'm, I'm never going to be able to run this. Uh, he's got someone there who's, who's dealing with distractions, whether it's family or friends or whether it's the media. He's got someone there as a promoter 
who, who's presenting him. And, and they're all working together, doing their best so that the athlete will win. And here's Christ by himself. And all that we need, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, he can supply our need. See, so often we feel, I can't face this. And you're right, you can't face it on your own. But you can, with the strength of Christ, because he's the one that's supplying your need. Yes, the devil, the evil one, is out to destroy you. But Christ, the supreme sovereign one, he has a plan to deliver you. And how does he do that? He meets your need, even in the face of trial, in the face of temptation. He's a friend and helper to succor you at that time. And could I encourage you to say that he will succor you and he will satisfy you. We read here is the author and finisher of our faith. Did you know the word finisher can be translated rewarder or perfecter? It's got those two connotations. So true faith begins with Christ, but it ends with Christ. Because he's the perfecter, he's the one who increases our faith, but he's also the one who'll reward us at the end. You think of that Grecian Olympic Games and the one who crossed the finish line. He comes before the um, governor and the throne and he's rewarded with the laurel wreath for, for running well. Well done, good and faithful servant. And that's what the Lord Jesus will say to everyone that, that enters into heaven. He'll be there to welcome them in and welcome them home. You see, he, he will satisfy us with the crown of righteousness. And here's the assistance that is expressed. Here's God's encouragement for a weary Christian. And you know, I want to say as I finish, there's many, many weary Christians out there. And they're hurting, and they're struggling, and they need help, and they're looking to the church, they're going to this pastor or this minister, and they're not getting the help that they need. And I want to say this morning to every weary Christian, you can get help in this race, but there's something you must do you must look to Christ. Because that's Paul's argument. As you run, look to Christ. Because he will not only assist you, but he makes this urgent appeal. You can only run by looking to him. The Lord bless you this morning.